Hello and welcome. The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Well, just outside Moscow, you'll find this giant cathedral called the Church of the Russian Armed Forces, which was essentially a gift from President Putin to the Russian Orthodox Church, which in in Russia is the largest Christian denomination. It's got about 150 million adherents. And every inch of this cathedral is like a monument to Russian military power and strength, okay? The walls of it on the inside are, are covered with art that interestingly kind of mixes religious and, and military symbols. Like for example, here, as you can see, is a, an icon of Jesus and he's carrying a sword. And this icon is front and center in the cathedral. Well, it seems to me that's a pretty good picture of what many people in Russia believe is the mission of the church. Like the church exists to serve Putin, to help Russia fulfill its destiny and become a great empire again. So nobody was really surprised when a few days into the war in Ukraine, the head of the Orthodox Church in Russia, uh, they call him Patriarch Kirill, or Cyril, um, when he gave a sermon, and in his sermon, he supported the war in Ukraine. To him, this war is a way of protecting Russia from Western influences and Western sins, and like gay pride parades. Now, bear in mind, he is basically their pope. And what he said in his message is that we have entered into a struggle that has not a physical, but a metaphysical significance, like a spiritual significance. He says, we will be faithful to the law of love and justice. And if we see violations of this law, we will never be tolerant with those who destroy this law, blurring the line between holiness and sin. In other words, for many Russians especially for some Russian Christians and Russian Christian leaders, the war in Ukraine is a holy war. It's like a necessary tool for dealing with sin and sinners. And the the perspective is that conquering Ukraine is actually God's will. They're doing them a favor and conquering Ukraine is God's will. And so in some ways, I get why religious leaders are tempted by people like Putin. I think it needs to be said, like, he's a powerful person. He can make things really easy for you if you cooperate. He can make things really tough for you if you resist. But I do think we need to have a little conversation about the about the church and power. It actually reminds me of a warning that I once read in something by Brian Zond, an author and a theologian from the U.S. He said... The early church understood that the kingdom of God did not and could not come through Caesar or the ways of Caesar. Thus, they had no ambition to wield the power of Caesar's sword. When the church reaches for the sword of Caesar, it lets go of the cross of Christ. Well, if that's how things are in parts of Russia today, that's certainly not how things began in the church. The earliest Christians were not an empire. They had no power They had no army. They had no borders to protect. And the only power that they had was in the Easter message, the idea that Jesus of Nazareth had risen from the dead. In fact, the central claim of Christianity, the claim on which everything stands or falls, is that after Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, and descended to the dead, 
On the third day, Jesus rose again. And he was first seen by the women at, women at the tomb. He was then seen by the apostles and then by 500 other disciples. Like this really happened. It really happened. And this Easter, 2022, happens to fall in wartime. It seems to me we could discuss the resurrection in a way that's totally disconnected from what's going on in the world. I just don't think that we would be well served by that. This Easter feels different. This feels like a moment when the church needs to reflect. And so my aim this year is to simply you know, remind us of some of what the resurrection means in our lives. I will share some scriptures and, and, and we'll especially hear from some people for whom the hope of resurrection is all that they've got. People for whom the hope of resurrection is actually enough. Because I want that for us. It seems to me if we can grasp the power of resurrection, the power that is at work in resurrection, we may not be so afraid and we may not be so tempted by other kinds of power. All right? Let me begin with just a few scriptures that remind us of how central the resurrection is in our faith. Like long before Jesus was ever crucified, long before he was arrested, Jesus stood up and he told crowds, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life only to take it up again. This is in John 10. He says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. And a chapter later, Jesus is standing by the grave of his friend Lazarus. He makes a promise and says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Well, in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul had a ton of things to say about the resurrection. He says, uh, if we have been united with him in a death like his, and we have, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Okay, that's for us. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians what the day of resurrection will be like. He says, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. That sounds pretty awesome. we That's what it's going to be like when we are raised, when our bodies and souls are reunited and we experience a resurrection of our own. When Paul was weak, it was the hope of resurrection that gave him strength. And he says in 2 Corinthians 13 that Christ was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power, we will live with him. Again, that's a promise. That's for us. In fact, one of the greatest things Paul could pray for a believer is that we would know the power of the resurrection. And so in Ephesians 1, Paul prays, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as his mighty strength he inert, ex, that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Again, Paul prays that for us. Okay, that's the prayer that this is a prayer that we 
would know the power of the resurrection because that same power is, will, is at work in us. And, th- and these aren't just words for Paul. These aren't just, this isn't just interesting, like theological pursuit, okay? Some of Paul's last words that he wrote while he was in prison because he refused to cooperate with Caesar were words about the resurrection and how it gave him strength to carry on. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, he says. This is my gospel. The resurrection is Paul's gospel. Do you see that? Uh, For which I'm suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. Paul says, here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure we will also reign with him. And friends, we could go on and on. There are many, many more scriptures that that deal with the resurrection in the New Testament and even in the Old Testament. But what I hope you see here is there's no greater encouragement, okay? There's no greater like assurance for us than the promise that we will be raised just as Jesus was, that the power that raised Jesus on Easter Sunday That same power is at work in each of us, and we will not stay dead. We will be raised, okay? That is a a promise. That is some power. And this morning in Ukraine and Russia, our brothers and sisters in Christ are on the ground clinging to that power right now. Now, many of us, we've seen some pretty horrifying images coming from Ukraine, from Bukha, from Mariupol, from Kiev. Uh, But an important voice that I think we haven't heard a lot of is the voice of the church in both Russia and Ukraine. In Ukraine, Christians are facing, you know, obviously danger from bombs and bullets. But in Russia, they also, Christians also face fines and danger from arrest and imprisonment. in Russia, if they speak out against Putin's war. And both of them are clinging to the resurrection for hope. Like here's a Russian pastor, his name is Andrei Kravtsev, and he posted a letter on Facebook. And in his letter he says, those who believe in Christ look forward to the resurrection from the dead and a new universe where righteousness dwells. The church cannot participate in the war either by words or actions, especially when this war is regressive, is aggressive. Listen, that's a Russian pastor saying that, okay, at great risk to himself. The church cannot participate in the war. He says the church cannot succumb to hostility and maintain hatred toward anyone whom society today has declared enemies, whether Ukrainians, Europeans, Americans, or anyone else. Well, another church leader, this time an archbishop, says Ukraine is being sacrificed. Pardon me. Ukraine is being crucified. Ukraine is being crucified and the world watches and the world waits. It is clear what is happening is devastating. We are on a pilgrimage to resurrection. Well, in the city of Kiev, one church leader said, people will rebuild these churches and houses and bridges and factories destroyed by Russian shelling. But the people killed, they will not be reunited with their loved ones, only on the day of resurrection of the body. Another pastor in Kiev says that uh, we know that evil is defeated by the cross 
and the resurrection of our Lord. We know that whatever our enemies do to us, we will be resurrected because God has united us with Christ. Therefore, we celebrate the victory of our Lord. The main battle took place and the main enemy uh, was defeated by the cross. Uh, another pastor, his name's uh, Sergei uh, Nakul, he recorded a video of himself standing in front of a, of a market, like a, a shopping mall, shortly after it had been destroyed and like blown up by Russian bombs. And he says, standing in front of this destroyed building, he says, this is what gives us assurance and consolation and comfort right now. I know that if my body will be destroyed like this building, it will be restored again by my dear Savior, Jesus Christ, who is alive right now and forever. And again, friends, we could go on. Each of these are devoted Christ followers. They are on the ground in Ukraine. They're on the ground in Russia. And with their own eyes, they are seeing buildings blown up. They're seeing loved ones who are sent off to die for the glory of Russia. They see shooting and dead bodies in the streets every day. And they could escape it all in a second. Okay, they could, This could be done for them in a second if they just went along and bowed to Putin. But conscience will not let them. The gospel will not let them. They stay. They stay. Why? Because of resurrection. They, they stay and they sing and pray and they love their enemies and they care for widows and orphans and they rebuild and they share Jesus because of the resurrection. And I wonder, would we? Would we? What if, what if Kiev were Hamilton? What if what's happening there were happening here? Would benediction stay and serve those who can't leave? Would I? I like to think I would. I like to think we would. Most of the time, I, I, I feel like I'm more aligned with God's kingdom than I am with this one. Uh, I, I know that I'll be raised. I believe that. But, but sometimes, sometimes Caesar makes me forget. And so I, I thank God. It doesn't depend on my remembering but on his promise. Like my hope doesn't come from the strength of my faith. It doesn't rest in the strength of my faith, but on the, the love and the faithfulness of Almighty God. And so this gives us pause. What difference does the resurrection of Jesus make in your life? When you walk out of here this morning, is it going to be just an idea, just another sermon? Just a, like a bit of theology? How will Easter Sunday affect your Easter Monday and Tuesday and on into the rest of your week? Well, if we're not sure how resurrection currently impacts our life, you might think of it this way. What tempts you? What tempts you? What could somebody offer you to make you believe that you're on the winning side? Like the victory is mine now because I have this. What would that be? What tempts you? On the other hand, what do you fear? What, what are you afraid of? What could somebody threaten you with to make you think that faith in Jesus is misplaced? Hmm? I, I encourage you to take some time this week to think of that. Because like, we may never find ourselves in the same circumstances as our brothers and sisters in, in Russia and Ukraine. God forbid that ever happens. But we are constantly tempted by power. Or we are constantly you know, 
of uh, tempted to be to fear those who have it. And, and sometimes it might be political power, yes, but power can also be popularity and peer pressure and actual authority that some of us may have or approval or wealth and possessions or different kinds of privilege or success or, or whatever. Any one of these can make us forget Jesus and trust other things. That's how the powers operate down here. That's how power works. Power gets us to fear and to trust them and not God. I recently learned that the, the combined governments of the world, the nuclear nations of the world, have the power to wipe out the human race about 130 times over. Like the nuclear stockpiles in the world, that's how we have enough warheads to wipe out the human race about 130 times over. Think of that power. That's a lot of power, right? And that power will cause thousands, maybe millions, to fear or to suck up to the Caesars of the world, but not the church. Because the power to wage war and end life is still nothing compared to the power of that Easter morning. Because like, how do, you, how do you conquer a king who won't stay dead? But not only that, but promises that same destiny to his people. How do you conquer them? What are you going to tempt them with? What are you going to threaten them with? Friends, that's why the resurrection matters. That's why resurrection matters. I want you to imagine something with me. I want you to imagine it's about 67 AD, okay? Earliest, some of the earliest days of the, of the Christian church. And the Roman emperor is uh, annoyed and frustrated because there's a revolt going on in Judea. And so he sends a few legions of Roman soldiers. By the time that they're finished in AD 70, they will have flattened Jerusalem, pulled down the temple. Thousands of Jews will be killed. Okay? Now imagine Nero reaches out to Paul just before he sends the legions. So he reaches out to Paul, and imagine that meeting. Nero and Paul are face-to-face, sitting across a table, and Nero says to Paul, Listen, Paul, Paul, the Jews have become a real problem. They've become a real problem. And Paul, I know you have some influence there. I want you to use your influence in the church to help us conquer Judea. You help us retake Judea, and we will even make, we'll, we'll give you whatever you want. We will even make Christianity the official religion. How does that sound, Paul? Well, if you're Paul, that's quite a deal, you know? You've got a Christian empire just like that. You've got no need for missionary journeys, no reason for imprisonment or, or beatings, no, no, no worry about, you know, how are we going to get people to believe? Because all of a sudden, you've got thousands of converts just like that. Every church is filled. All that Paul has to do is whatever Nero says. Now, could you imagine the Paul we know, the Paul we've read about, the Paul who describes the resurrection, could you imagine him saying yes to that deal? Could you imagine him making that deal? Even if Caesar could, could promise Paul all kinds of things, maybe he names a city after him, maybe he gives him wealth, Maybe he gives him bodyguards and wives and a you know, standing army to protect him. 
He could offer Paul a lot. What could Caesar threaten Paul with to make him go along with this plan? He could threaten him with a lot, actually. Prison or torture or death. Um, he could threaten to kill people that Paul loves. And, and that might scare some. But would any of that work on Paul with what we know about him and what he said about the resurrection? Would that work on Paul or Peter or James or John or Mary or any of the first disciples? No, not a chance. Because they knew that the worst that Caesar can do, the extent of his power is the power to wage war, to steal, to kill. And it seems to me in the early days of the church, we weren't tempted or afraid of Caesar. We knew that war and violence and power are not the way of Jesus. And I wonder, what will it take for us to remember that? What will it take for the church to remember what real power looks like? I'm not talking mainly about the patriarch of the Russian Orthodox Church. I'm not mainly talking about a cathedral outside Moscow which is a, you know, a, a monument to Russian military aggression. I'm talking about us. What will it take for us to remember what real power looks like? Okay, let's, let's be clear this Easter that our allegiance is to the risen Christ and to his kingdom alone. And his kingdom, it's not a regime. Like, it doesn't spread through war or violence or bribery. Okay? He doesn't use tanks and bombs and bullets. And Jesus doesn't kill his enemies to spread his kingdom. Jesus dies for his enemies. He's the only king in history who wins by losing. And he isn't impressed by the things that we're impressed with. He's not impressed by giant cathedrals. He doesn't need any of that because he's greater than all of it. And so, so let's continue to pray. Let's pray for, for Ukraine for peace in Ukraine. We should pray for for that and certainly for peace in other parts of the world. But we should also pray for for God to bring Putin to repentance and and bring Putin later to, to justice. We should pray for Russia. We should pray for the sons and daughters of Russia who've been sent off to die for a lie. We should pray for the churches there. We should pray for their unity and for them to cooperate and collaborate and communicate between each other. And we should pray for healing for those who are suffering in Ukraine and Russia and for all of them to know the power of Jesus' resurrection and the hope that it gives. And let's also pray for our own hearts. As we follow the way of Jesus here and now and we face all kinds of temptations, it's just going to be so helpful for us to remember you can't top a resurrection. Like there's nothing greater than resurrection. And as we face different kinds of threats and fears and dangers, it is going to change our lives to remember that no one, no one can take resurrection away from us. And so we can say with the Apostle Paul that death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this message from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. 
Feel free to copy and share these resources, but please don't alter the content in any way. We invite you to visit us online again soon at www.benediction.church for more teaching and information about how you can join us in serving and praying that it would be in Hamilton as it is in heaven.